Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to the book of Jude. The epistle of Jude. We have been going through the epistle of Jude for a few weeks. And I would have to say it's a stroke of divine providence. Never intended to go there. And it so happened, if you are a keen observer, that the book of Jude is very much similar to the book of Hebrews. And Jude is actually telling us how to deal with the problem of apostasy. And we are this morning, verses 22 and 23, which we'll be considering, verses 22 and 23. Jude has been giving a series of instructions to the church of his day, and by extension to you and me as Christians today as to how we can combat this problem of apostasy. Remember, as we said, apostasy concerns falling away from the faith. True believers in Christ cannot apostatize. Yes, they can backslide and backslide grievously, but they cannot fall away from the faith. Nevertheless, the Word of God warns professing believers concerning the possibility of falling from the faith, which would mean that in the first place they were not saved. So we read this morning, Jude verses 22 and 23, following those series of instructions, Jude is giving us, he says, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. In our study of this epistle of Jude, We've been considering, as we said, Jude's warnings to believers regarding the problem of apostasy in the church. Because of their secret, undetected mode of operation, verse 3, they creep into the church unnoticed. Verse 12, they are like hidden reefs in the assembly. And because of their manipulative, overbearing attitude, as described in verse 16, in which Jude says that they are grumblers, malcontents, loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. These false teachers, these apostate teachers, were wreaking havoc in the church. They were causing a number, a good number, of the flock to succumb to their sinful, heretical influence. Even as it is in our time, that's how dangerously destructive the spirit of apostasy was in Jude's day. And having denounced strongly the apostate professors of the faith, Jude, as we saw last time, presents some ways in which believers in Christ can withstand apostasy. According to the Apostle Jude, we, we believers in Christ can withstand apostasy and apostate influences by remembering the apostolic predictions, by remembering the words of the apostles as set forth in Holy Scripture. Second, according to Jude, we withstand apostasy by remaining in the love of God. We see that in verse 21. And Jude tells us there in verse 21, 21, in fact, in verse 20, that this involves building up ourselves in the faith. It involves praying in the Holy Spirit. 
As well, it involves being expectant with respect to the Lord's return, verse 21. And the third respect, what, that which we are considering today, according to Jude, in which we withstand apostasy, Jude suggests we withstand apostasy and apostate influences by reaching out to victims of apostate teachers, by reaching out to victims of apostate teachers. We see that in these verses we have just read, verses 22 and 23. Now in these verses, Jude addresses the question as to how the church should treat those who are being negatively impacted by these false teachers. He cites three categories, three categories of people to whom the church should particularly reach out in pastoral care. Three groups of people that need special help, that three groups of people that are in need of navigating the confusion created by these false teachers and having also the need to rid themselves of their corrupting, contaminating influence. And as we consider each group in turn, we get some idea as to how dangerously poisonous these apostates were to the church. We learn that they are dangerous enough to undermine and derail the faith of God's people. And the first category of people to whom the church should particularly reach out, Jude suggests, is those believers who have listened to false teachers who are plagued with doubt. Plagued with doubt as regards the truth of the word of God. These are spiritually weak and immature believers, believers who are easily led, believers who are easily influenced. And hence, as a result of their listening to these false teachers, they have begun to waver and wane in their faith, in their walk with the Lord. No, they have not yet crossed over to these apostate teachers. They have not yet become part of this apostate movement. They are really not quite sure as to what to believe or whom they should follow. They are on the fringes. They are wavering between truth and error. Jude says in verse 22, he gives the instruction, have mercy on those who doubt. In effect, Jude's instructions to the church is this, do, be careful, he's saying to them, be careful not to label, not to classify everyone who is wavering as apostates, as outright defectors of the faith. Jude is saying here that we are to recognize that there are some who have serious, honest doubts those who are not as strong as we might be in the faith. These, he says, are in need of special help. What we have here is a case of spiritual discernment, the need for spiritual discernment. Yes, the Word of God will tell us, for example, in Second John 10 and 11, that if certain people come having not the doctrine of Christ... We are not even to greet them. We are not even to bid them Godspeed. We are not even to welcome them in our homes. We must have nothing to do with them. Jude is not talking about 
people who were outrightly denying the faith. He, were, he was talking here about people who have honest doubts, professing believers who are spiritually weak. They were listening to these teachers and as a consequence were wavering in their faith, not knowing what to believe. And Jude is saying to the church, don't be quick to write off those people who are doubting. Don't be quick to shun them. Work with them, is what he's saying. Come alongside them, have mercy on them. While you denounce and steer clear of false teachers, while you denounce and steer clear of those who are clearly apostates, see to it that you exercise compassion and reclaim those who are being deceived, who are being misled by these very teachers. To take a line from Jesus' parable, Jude is saying to his readers, as it were, be careful that in pulling up the weeds, you do not destroy the wheat. Have mercy on those who doubt. He's saying that those who are given to doubt, those who are given to wavering in their faith, are in need of compassion, not condemnation. Don't be critical of them. Don't be condemning of them, Jude is saying. Jude is calling on more mature believers to exercise the grace of mercy and compassion on those who are doubting, on those who are wavering in the faith. And what a reminder to you and me, especially to those who might be more mature, it becomes us, the word of God suggests, to be merciful toward others. How easy it is for us to grow impatient toward those who are not growing and developing as we might be. And why should we be merciful? Why? Because we ourselves have been the recipients of God's mercy and grace. Psalm 116 and verse 5 tells us something about the God we serve. The psalmist says there in Psalm 116 and verse 5, Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is what? Merciful. Our God is merciful. In fact, over in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7, we're reminded of how that God in Christ, here's what Paul says, was rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us such that even when we were dead, in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. God has been merciful to us, the word of God says. And we should be merciful as Christians because scripture warns that if we fail to exercise mercy, if we fail to be compassionate, we might very well reap the reward. Because the apostle James will warn us in James chapter 2, verse 13, James says this, For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So that if we expect to be recipients of mercy, we must show mercy. And if you'll notice in verse 21, if you glance at verse 21 of this epistle of Jude, very much in line with what he had said there in verse 21, Jude's argument then is this, that inasmuch as 
we should keep ourselves in the love of God in as much as we should be waiting for the mercy of God in Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life, we as Christians are therefore obliged to show mercy toward those who are weak, wavering, and doubting. Do you see the connection? He says, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And the implication there is this. We therefore, in view of the fact that we are expectant of God's mercies, we have, we have been recipients of God's mercies, we are obliged then to show mercy to those who are doubting. Don't shun them, Jude is saying. They are in need of help. You see, vulnerable and unsuspecting as they are for their lack of spiritual maturity, they have not had their powers of discernment exercised, as the writer of the Hebrews would put it, whereby they can distinguish between truth and error. Especially if the error has elements of truth. And the question is, what does showing mercy on such people in the church look like? There might be people struggling in the faith, having doubts about the faith because of listening to some radio preacher, some television preacher, and they have been hearing all kinds of things and confused. They do not know what to believe. How then, as a church, we are to minister to them so that they might not fall prey to false, heretical, apostate teachings? How do we show mercy on such I would say, first of all, it involves realizing that they are spiritual victims. They are spiritual victims. That they might well be Christ's sheep who are in need of being rescued, who are in need of being set once again on the right path. They have fallen into the ditch of error and they need to be lifted out graciously. And tenderly. This would certainly call for wise, gentle, and patient correction. As one notable Bible teacher describes the process, he says this quote, this may mean long hours of patient instruction, prayerful interaction, and lengthy dialogue to show them the biblical, theological, and historical facts as they really are. It will require much prayer, time, and energy, but such striving will be worth it when the doubters are strengthened in their faith. According to the Apostle Jude, the second category, and we come to the second category of people to whom the church should exercise pastoral care they should particularly reach out to, impacted as they are by apostate teachers, is those who are dangling on the brink of destruction. The second group would be those who are dangling on the brink of destruction. You say, is Jude talking there about professing Christians? Yes. He's writing to the church, and he's saying to the church, look, there are people in the church, first of all, who are honest doubters. Work with them. But there are also people in the church who are dangling on the brink of destruction. 
And here's what Jude says, verse 23a, he says, save others by snatching them out of the fire. Fire is used here as an emblem of divine judgment, that final judgment in hell. Word of God constantly uses this imagery of fire to speak of the judgment of the last days when the ungodly will be cast into hell. We sense a note of urgency in this instruction, snatch them from the fire. And such as suggested by this instruction is that some of the believers in the church in Jude's day had gotten to the place where it seems they had bought into the error of the apostates, even adopting their ungodly lifestyle. They had become so involved with these ungodly teachers as to be near the point of spiritual ruin. And clearly the spiritual condition of these people, the second group, was more severe. It was worse than the first group. The first group were doubters. The second group, they were in fact delving into the heresy of the apostate teachers such that it seems they were on the road to eternal destruction. Such were to be saved, Jude says, how by snatching them out of the fire. The verb that he uses here, the Greek verb that he uses here, is the same verb that is used in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17, in connection with believers, where Paul says they will be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. In other words, it conveys the idea of a violent, aggressive snatching from danger. And as used here in Jude 23, it's a word that implies intensely urgent and aggressive action. Jude is saying, look, there are some people in the church you have to deal with tenderly. Be careful not to classify them as outright defectors. Be patient with them. But there are people in the church who are teetering on the brink of destruction. You need to deal with them drastically, you need to deal with them aggressively in terms of saving them, snatching them from the burning. It's a kind of action that's needed in pulling someone from the engulfing destructive flames. It's a kind of work that the fireman does when he rescues people from a burning building. As regards the instruction to save errant believers from the fire, what might such drastic, urgent measure look like? What does such drastic, urgent measure as snatching them from the fire look like? No doubt it would involve, among other things, open censure. Paul talks about that in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 8, and he is talking specifically about the elders there, but it has a wider application to any member of the church. Those who keep on sinning, rebuke before all that the rest may hear and fear. Sometimes drastic action needs to be taken whereby errant believers, professing believers, are openly rebuked, are openly censored. It would involve church discipline by way of excommunication. Sometimes it comes to that. There are people who don't believe that we should put people outside of the church. It's unloving. But the word of God says there might be a place for that. It should not be, it should not be, it should not be our first line 
in terms of option. That comes after a lengthy process. But sometimes it becomes necessary. And here's what the Apostle Paul says, 1 Corinthians 5, verse 5. He says, even though my spirit is with you, even though I might be absent from you, my spirit is with you. In the name of our Lord Jesus, when you're gathered together, deliver such an one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that the spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. What is Paul talking about there? Excommunication. He says, put him out, put her out. Especially if they are unrepentant, especially if they are pursuing lives of ungodliness, embracing errant, heretical teachings. They have no intention of changing the Word of God says it might become necessary to put them out of the church. And how we need today capable teachers of the Word of God who can not only refute false teachings, but by God's grace rescue and reclaim those who are being led astray into false teaching. We need that kind of ministry in our time. Today, what with the prevalence of spiritual declension and defection among professing Christians, there's a real need for this kind of ministry in the church. In fact, the Apostle James, in James chapter 5, 19 and 20, states the immense value, the critical importance of this kind of ministry in the church. Listen to what James says in James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. He says this, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the faith, And someone brings him back, verse 20, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. It's a ministry that's much needed in our time. According to the Apostle Jude, then, the first category of people to whom the church should exercise a pastoral ministry particularly reach out to, influenced as they are by apostate teachers, is those who are doubting. The second category of people to whom the church should minister in a special way is those who are dangling on the brink of destruction. And now according to Apostle Jude, the third category of professing believers, the third category the church should particularly reach out to in pastoral care, influenced as they are by false apostate teachers, consists of those who have been deceived and deluded. Not just deceived and deluded, but defiled by these teachers, such that they are at the point, or we would say almost at the point, of no return. You see how progressively it gets worse and worse? There are the doubters. Then there are those who, you, you know, you have to take drastic action, if necessary, snatch them, grab them, as it were, like how the angel grabbed Lot and his wife, pulling them out of Sodom, burning Sodom. But then he says, there's this group that must be ministered to. They have been deluded And they have become defiled, as it were, by these teachers such that they are almost at the point of no return. Jude instructs those who seek to reclaim them for the Lord that even as they compassionately, notice they are still to exercise mercy, but even as they compassionately minister to them, they are to do so how? With fear, with fear. We read in verse 23b, to others show mercy with fear. 
Now, the fear that he has in view here, let me tell you what it is not before I tell you what it is. It's not a fear of those who are to be confronted. When Jude says we are to deal with these people with fear, with mercy and with fear, he's not saying that we must approach them cautiously and timidly for fear of offending them. Let me tell you that this. This is not the time to be pampering. This is not the time to be titillating. This is the time to deal firmly. This is the time to show them the real danger they're in. It's not a fear of incurring their disapproval of or displeasure with the counsel we have to give them. In fact, God have mercy on us. If ever out of fear, we hold back in pointing to people their sins. Rather, the fear... Jude is speaking of here, which should accompany the ministry of mercy to those who are defiled by apostasy, is the fear of holy trepidation. It is the fear of holy terror, holy terror at the thought of their exposure to the wrath of God, at the thought of their coming to eternal ruin. That's what the kind of fear we are to have as we confront them. We are to see them as souls in danger of eternal damnation. You know, I think sometimes the big mistake we make, we say, well, you know, he or she is a professing Christian, so they're just backslidden. And, uh, you know, they're saved, they're backslidden. If they die, that's chastening. But Jude doesn't think so. Jude suggests we must not take that for granted. Jude says we must pull them out of the fire. Jude says we must confront them without fear. We must confront them with fear. Fear, holy trepidation concerning the thought of the wrath of God to which they are exposed. It is that fear that relates to our understanding that the God with whom we have to do lovingly and fatherly, a God he is, he is also the God who judges impartially according to each one's deed. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 17. He is the God who meets out retribution to those who are dabbling in sin. That's what causes us. That's what will cause us while we exercise mercy to also fear. In fact, you know the word he uses for fear? The Greek word is a word from which we get our English word, phobia. We are to have a holy phobia of the wrath of God, the possibility of the wrath of God coming upon them if they fail to repent. Second, this fear which should accompany the ministry of mercy to those who are deluded and deceived by apostate teachers is the fear of cautious care and concern for our own souls even as we confront them. It's a fear of cautious care and concern for souls in view of our own vulnerability, in view of our own proneness, our own proclivity to falling and failing miserably. The idea here, beloved, is this, that even as the spirit as the spiritually mature believer attempts to reclaim the errant believer 
from his sinful apostate ways. He is to do so, we are to do so with a humble assumption. There go I except for the grace of God. So he's saying here, you know, we, we, we're seeing in the church people who are teetering on the brink of destruction. They are going in paths that suggest clearly, hey, they might not be saved. They're living in sin. They're embracing false doctrines. He's saying here, look, we are to do that with fear of our own souls. Fear concerning our own vulnerability to falling and sinning. In fact, Paul writes about this very thing in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Here's what Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, concerning those of us who would confront those who are living in sin, those who are backslidden, those who are teetering on the brink of apostasy. Here's what Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. He says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be what? Tempted. We are not beyond the possibility of falling and failing and sinning and making a mess of our own lives. The very best of us are capable of the most grievous sin the word of god is suggesting we're reminded again of first corinthians chapter 10 verse 12 where paul makes this very point he says therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed what lest he fall but notice also in the text that although mercy is to be shown in reclaiming errant apostate believers there is the need for hatred of their sins. There is need for hatred of the sins by which the erring believer has become contaminated. For Jude says at the end of verse 23, look at the end of verse 23. He says, while we are exercising mercy and while we are doing so with fear, we are to hate even the garment stained by the flesh. And to understand what Jude is saying here, the, the, the word he uses here for garment, you know that the Greek language has a way of using different words, bringing about different nuances. The word he uses here for garment, kiton, would be the inner garment. It's what we would call the undergarment. The garment that lies closest to our skin. And Jude is suggesting here, as it were, look, he's saying here that these people, living in sin as they are, having delved in sin as they have done, Jude is saying, as it were, they have the potential to contaminate everything they touch. To appreciate what Jude is saying here, think of the case in which there's an outbreak of the most virulent infectious disease. Remember some time ago, there was what they call the Ebola virus. And you know how cautious people were, the doctors were. Even clothing, in, in some instances, had to be what? Not just fumigated, but destroyed. And what Jude is suggesting here, in verse 23, is that with the 
attitude of mercy and fear, coupled with the attitude of mercy and fear in reclaiming errant believers, those who are in the grip of apostasy, there is to be the understanding that sin is like a contaminating contagious disease. So Jude is saying, look, as you deal with them, be mindful of your own vulnerability and be mindful of the fact that you could become soiled, you could become contaminated by their sins. Notice what Jude is talking about here. He's talking about this hatred of the sin, not hatred of the individual or individuals. You know, these attitudes which Jude urges upon his, his readers, and we're coming to a close, these, these attitudes he urges the church to adopt in dealing with sinning members, in dealing with members who have become affected or infected by apostasy. Effectively make the following points. What is Jude then saying in verses 22 and 23? Number one, Jude is saying this, that when it comes to our sinning errant fellow believers, there can be no place for indifference. When it comes to sin in the church, when it comes to sin in the lives of our fellow believers, when it comes to our fellow believers drifting, wandering, doubting, when it comes to their delving in sin, when it comes to their teetering on the brink of spiritual disaster, spiritual ruin, there can be absolutely no place for indifference. We cannot simply say, that's none of my business. I'm okay with the Lord. They have to sort it out. They need to read the Bible. They need to pray. We cannot pass off the failings of our spiritual brethren or fellow believers in Christ as being none of our business. We cannot treat lightly the case of those who profess to know Christ yet are embracing teachings that deny our Lord Jesus and that promote a lifestyle of ungodliness. Why? Because left to such course, left to such conduct, they will most surely suffer the eternal fate of the apostates, which Jude so passionately spells out in verses 6, 7, 13, and 15, namely, eternal ruin, eternal damnation. We must care for their souls. We must not take it for granted that, hey, it's just one of those things. We're humans too. You know, I find that to be one of the serious problems among Christians sometimes. There's a way, you see, and let me tell you how it works. And I know the temptation. And let me tell you what the temptation is. The temptation is this. You know the seriousness of sin, right? And in conveying that, there's a concern of not wanting to appear self-righteous. And so the temptation is to soft-pedal the sins of others and to say, listen, <laughs> you know, we're all human, God understands. And what are we doing? We are not 
helping them. We are to let them see what sin is, that we are to let them see sin as God sees it. Notice, what, what, what must we do? We must show compassion, we must show mercy, but we must be careful not to become partakers of the sins of others by being overly sympathetic to the point where we compromise the truth of the word of God. And that happens a great deal. I've seen it time and time again where somebody says, you know, I don't want to come off as being self-righteous, so therefore soft-pedal the word of God and, you know, it, you know, it could be me, you know. I mean, what do you know? We're all humans. <laughs> no. Left to such course, if they, are, if they are allowed to persist in their sins, without confrontation, without stern warning, stern yet loving warning, they'll perish. They'll die in their sins. For if you live according to the flesh, what does Paul say? What does the word of God say? You shall die. And we need to warn. We need to say to people, look, you can't be living like that. You can't be doing that. You need to break off that relationship. We cannot just simply say, well, you know, God understands your feelings and therefore, oh, what can I say? Who am I, as the Pope says, who am I to judge? No, you need to break off that relationship because it's, Bible says this, be not unequally yoked. And if you're continually living in sin, you're continually living according to the flesh, you will die. Second, as far as Jude is concerned, we gather from these verses that there can be no place for spiritual pride and gloating. On the part of those who would confront those who have been overtaken by sin and by false teaching. We cannot understand this text and come away with a holier-than-thou attitude, which says, listen, look at my life. I'm not like that. Jude is saying, look, we ought to show compassion. We ought to reach out to them. Don't shun them. Exercise mercy. Do it with fear, with the assumption, with the understanding that that could be you. Don't be partakers of their sins. Don't compromise the word of God. But don't be self-righteous. Christians who are on the verge of or in the grip of apostasy must be helped. Jude is suggesting they must be helped. How? Humbly. They must be helped compassionately. They must be helped redemptively even as they are being confronted regarding their sins. The fact is when it comes to the body of Christ, the members of that body, you and I should, according to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 26, have the same care for one another, realizing that if one member suffers, all suffer together. We are in it together. So none of us can take ourselves out and say, well, you know, it's not me, thank God. Third, from Jude, we also gather that mercy and caution in ministering, and I know I've said this, before, but it bears repeating. Jude is suggesting thirdly that mercy and caution in ministering to those who are victims of apostasy and apostate teachers does not mean does not mean sympathizing with them to the point of compromising with and tolerating their sins. 
There is to be a passionate, Jude is saying there is to be a passionate detestation of their sins, especially when we consider the potentially fatal nature of those sins. Jude says we are to hate even the garments stained by sin. We must never, beloved, in the name of mercy and compassion toward our failing brethren, compromise on the clear teaching of the word of God as regards that which is sinful. Even as we try to reclaim and restore and rescue those who have been overtaken by sin and heresy, we must do so without allowing ourselves to become contaminated by their sins. We should not, First Timothy 5 verse 22, we should not take part in the sins of others, but keep ourselves pure. And so by way of summary, verses 22 and 23 call attention to the solemn responsibility the church has to minister to those wavering in the faith, to those who are wayward with respect to the faith, to those who are gripped, as it were, on the brink of eternal ruin. These verses underscore the fact that contending for the faith, very important, Contending for the faith does not mean being calloused toward or severely critical of those who are struggling, of those who are wavering, of those who are failing with respect to the faith. Because as one writer well puts it, quote, one cannot fight for the faith without having the attitude of the one in whom our faith rests, the one who came to seek and save the lost. If we have the spirit of Christ, if we understand the redemptive mission of the Lord Jesus Christ, if that can take a hold of us, then it will influence how we deal with those who are errant, with those who are failing, with those who are floundering in the faith. May God grant grace as we ponder these words of our text. May we have a prayerful regard for our fellow believers, our fellow brethren, realizing that we're in a spiritual battle, a spiritual war. And as you know, with every war, there are often casualties. May God grant us the grace. If you are not saved, anyone listening this morning, even by way of Zoom or later on on the internet, you're not saved, here's the point you are teetering on the brink of eternal destruction. Here's the good news. Christ Jesus came into the world as the good shepherd. He laid down his life. And the way you're going to get out of that predicament is by faith and trust in him and him alone to save you. May God grant that this might be so in your case. For his name's sake, amen.